the Marchioness de Montespan and the Witchlaw Boss in a small, tumble-down cottage. Here, by sorcery and witchcraft, La Boss is endeavoring to kill Aurora, watched closely by the superstitious Marchioness. With the aid of the incriminating locket given him by Therese Lesage, Joel persuades La Montespan to tell him what she knows, and throwing the locket at her feet, he rushes blindly off along the path towards the summer house to which Aurora has been taken. Suddenly, La Bosse sees a face pressed against the window of the little cottage, and believing it to be some evil spirit called up by her own incantations, she runs screaming from the cottage, the terrified marchioness after her. Then, from among the trees, steps Rike the dwarf, wet and bedraggled by the storm, but perky as ever, and behind him, Francoise Daubigny. They step into the cottage and look around. He's gone! The pair of them, and never a sign left behind them but the cinders of the fire there. Close the door, Monsieur Foucault, and shut this rain off. Did you see who they were? Was one of them a roar? It was hard to see. The little window was so cobwebbed and dirty. I pressed my face against it and peered in with all my eyes, but I couldn't see much. But this, I tell you, if Madame de Maria was young and beautiful... Then she was not there. No, of course not. What did she be doing there? And yet, she's not with a hunting party, for I've asked her. What do these women like? Like two old witches. Old and ugly. Their faces evil and twisted with superstitious fear. Their hair straggling about their faces like Medusa. It doesn't sound exactly like my lady the Marchioness, either. She is tall and stately. Beautiful, too. There was no beauty here, madame. And did you see them fly? As if the devil were behind them. <laughs> they probably thought you were the devil, monsieur. You are wet through and your face all smeared with mud. Hearing through that window, you must have been enough to frighten anyone. <laughs> it is a fine thing when one's face frightens even the witches. Oh, monsieur. They may have thought you a devil. I thought you an angel when you came to my house today. You and Honorin, and the little crippled one. You were lucky to find me, for as I tell you, I've been in hiding, and only crept back today, hoping to find Honorin, had all sent your name was after to come. Now the question is, where is Joel? And has he found his dear Aurora? For from all you've told me, and from all I've been able to tell you, it is necessary that he find her quickly. Oh, dear, indeed it is. For I believe she is surrounded by evil spirits. But there is nothing for us here. So let's go on. I shall not rest until I've found them both. Wait a moment. I... What is that? Look. Shining on the floor there. there. I see nothing. Over here. See? I'll get it. Oh, why, it's nothing. Nothing but a trinket they dropped in their hurry. Let me see. Oh, heaven have mercy. What is it? Do you... Recognize this bauble? Yes, monsieur. I recognize it. 
It belongs to my mistress, the Marchioness de Montespan. And what does that mean, then? It means that she was here. One of the witches we saw. So transformed and disfigured by greed and evil that we did not recognize her. Oh, what has he done, monsieur? What has he done with Aurora? Oh, monsieur, my heart is given. I know her too well. She has such power, such evil power. I am afraid of what she may have done. I am afraid we are too late. Close, I would have told you the right place to look. 
Come now, draw your sword, or I'll pin you to the wall without more ado. Very well. I see I must spare the time to kill you. Try it, monsieur. I'll waste no time, I warrant you. You have little time to waste, monsieur. If you wish to save your save your wife, do not think to toss me into forgetting my guard, monsieur. I am too experienced a swordsman for that. Yes, I, I warrant I could taunt you into such a rage if I chose to tell you all I know. I know all I need to know. <laughs> Perhaps. She is very lovely, Madame de Locmaria. I've always thought so, as you may remember. Such lips as yours are not fit to have her name upon them. Hold your tongue, then, before I silence it forever. I, too, am an experienced swordsman. There's no doubt you are discovered. Besides, you must be tired. You're wet through. Looks as if you've ridden all night. While I, I am fresh and delighted, monsieur, to have the opportunity of getting even with you. Besides... My master will pay me well for it. I have always found, monsieur, the man who talks most dies yeah. the soonest. Like this, monsieur. Oh, ah. I call that the thrust of Porthos. Just one thing I wish. I wish you had told me the real secret of this panel before you died, for on my sword I wasted more time than I... Falling, he has knocked against the panel and the door has opened. My thanks, Monsieur Cordbos. The secret that you would not tell me in life, you've revealed in death. Now to our Lord and God grant that I may not be too late. While Joel has been detained in the summer house by Cordbos, while he has fought with him and finally killed him, in a room in the Chateau Marley, the Duke of Almada stands looking down on the unconscious form of a roar. Unaware of the failure of any of his plans, he smiles gently at the servant standing quietly beside him. Gently and triumphantly. Indeed, she is beautiful. It makes me wish I were a little younger. Well, Lester Ben, so this is the end of the past. The triumph. We have what we wanted. You'd be see, her husband is still alive, my lord. True, true. But that is a small matter. To be sure, I wished him dead. But since he is not, we must make the best of it. Certainly he is alive and worships her. And she him. But what of it? He is not here. Believe me, a siege is a slow business. He will be away some time. Besides, this very affection they bear each other provides me with a weapon against them. Either would brave anything to save the other from harm. Yes, my lord. I see what you mean. Oh, but I am tired, Esteban. Get me a chair. Yes, my lord. Oh, thank you. And suppose, Esteban, just suppose that all this is vile and odious. These plans of mine, hmm? No one would suggest that, my lord. The end must justify the means. That is what I say, Mr. Dan. But I'm an old man and tired. And conscience grows active when one grows old. I ask myself, what would D'Artagnan have said of my scheming? Or Athos? Or Porthos? I do not know these names, my lord. No. No, Mr. Dan. They're all dead now. They called me Aramis. Aramis? It was a long time ago, my friend. But sometimes when I am tired... 
I wonder what they would say if they could know me now. Aramis, the prelate and the conspirator, the man who has juggled with the crown and scepter of France, acting the spider. But the end justifies the means. She will come to love the king. She will have power and influence most women crave. And with her in such a position of power, then I too have power. And I may put the pen in Louis' hand, and he will write such orders as I desire. You are tired, my lord. I will leave you now. Rest a little until his majesty arrives. Yes, I will do that. I will advise his majesty you are waiting. The end, he says, justifies the means. What does the mud upon the road or the twig snapped underfoot matter to him who reaches the summit? What does any one person matter in comparison with the cause I champion? And yet, no, I do but play a game and deceive myself with fine phrases. Let's be honest. It is power for myself I want. Power! And what was that? Surely I cannot be mistaken. There is someone in the passage below. It must be Corbus, of course. Who else could it be? Is that you, Corbus? No, my lord. It is I. Son of Porthos. Adapted for radio by Margaret Dunn. From the novel by Alexander Dumas. A George Edwards production.